The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. finish the study of the very first book written in the New Testament era, and next week we're going to start the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You make sure and come next week. Perfect time to bring a friend. They can get right in on the ground floor of our series. But all we have left in 1 Thessalonians 5 is the benediction of the, uh, of the book. And it's, uh, it's, it's so well known, it's used by a benediction over and over and over again. But there's some practical teaching here. And the practical teaching is so radical in terms of the way we live our lives. It's so revolutionary or life-changing that if you'll get this practical teaching this morning, I guarantee when you leave this room, your walk with the Lord will be different. Have you got 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Find verse 23. I'm only going to read two verses. Two verses, verse 23 and 24, says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Stop right there. Who does the work of sanctification? Do you sanctify you or does God sanctify you? Good. You did better than the last two services. At least half of you are awake. So now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And what does completely mean? May your whole spirit and soul and body, and that really means your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And back in chapter 4, in the first part of chapter 5, it was all about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he alludes to it again. He finishes in verse 24 by saying this, he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. So let's talk about two kinds of Christians. There are believers who have given their life to Christ. They've asked for the forgiveness of sins. They come to church every Sunday. They're a part of a life group, but they are not experiencing the power, the joy, the blessing that God intends for them because they are really asking God to bless them as they make decisions about their own life. They're asking God to come and join me in my life. God, I need your blessing. I want you. They are, they're, they're believers, so they understand that. But they're still pretty much in charge of their own lives. They decide what job they take and who they marry and what they drive and where they live. And, and they just, just pray. And, and you can tell this in this kind of believer's prayers. Or, God, bless me. Or I want this. Or give me this. That's very, very different from another kind of believer. This is a believer who joins God in what he has for my life. And so here, the first point's gonna come up now. I want you to see it, I want you to think about it. Here's the difference, here's the radical change. If you will join God in what he's doing in your life and stop asking him to join you in what you wanna do with your life, Everything will change for you. It's, it's really about the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, so the first kind of believer 
He's got Jesus as Savior. He's going to go to heaven when he dies. He has the forgiveness of sins. But he's always wondering, well, why are my prayers answered? Why don't I have the power of God? Why don't I have the blessing of God? Why don't I have the joy that God gives? And it's because he really wants to be in charge of his own life. And he's just asking this eternal, almighty God, who's got to be incredible and have great power, come and bless me. Come and, come and give me joy. Come and give me happiness. Come and do this for me. That's an entirely different kind of existence from the second kind of believer. The second kind of believer realizes God's my creator. God's my designer. He's the one who knows what his purpose for me is. If I would join God in his purpose, if I would join God in what he wants to do in my life, then I would align myself with the power of God, the blessing of God, the joy of God, and you begin to experience that in your life. Now, if you do that, well, what, what happens? Well, if you're willing to take this radical step, it's, it is radical. It means you're not in charge of your life anymore. You, you've given it away. Andrew in his testimony said, I gave up my life. I love that phrase. Sometimes you say, I give my life to the Lord, but he said, I gave it up. I, you give your life away if you'll take that radical step, but necessary step, because you don't want to be in charge of your life. You know what I've discovered about my life? Every time I'm in charge of my life, I wreck it. I mess it up. I, I had two kids. I won't tell you which one, but one of them, every time I gave them a car, they wrecked it. So, so but if you, if you take this step and say, God, I'm going to join you in what you're doing in my life, then, then what you've got to do, the first step is to understand how does then God see you? If you, if you want what God wants for you, you've got to figure out, well, how does God see me? Well, in verse 23, he tells us how he sees us. The first thing we see is that God sees us as one made in his likeness. And this is the spiritual part of you. The Bible says that without Christ, we're dead in our sins. And Ephesians chapter 2 says, every person is dead in their trespasses and sins without Christ. And so an unbeliever has no spiritual makeup. They, they, they were designed to function spiritually, but, but they're dead that way. So God created us to, to know his Holy Spirit, to have his Holy Spirit indwell us, to walk in the Spirit. And for, for instance, in Galatians it says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we're designed this way, and this is the part of you which is in the image of God. You know, you've, got, you've got fingers and toes and ears and nose, but that's not what makes you the image of God. You are stamped with the image of God because you will exist forever. God exists, uh, always existed in the past. He'll always exist in the future. He's eternal. You and I are not eternal, but we were made immortal. There was a time when you weren't, but there's never going to be a time when you won't be. I think that's bad grammar, but good theology. So there was a time when you didn't exist, but you were conceived by your mother and father. And in that moment, you were impressed, stamped with the image of God. What does that mean? It means that you will always exist. You will either live forever with Jesus in heaven, eternal life, or rejecting him, you will exist forever separated from God in hell, eternal death but you will never cease to exist. Why? You're made in the image of God. 
Elephants are incredible. Giraffes are incredible. Duckbill platypus in its own way is incredible. But none of them have the image of God. Only people are stamped in the image of God. That's part of who you are. There's a second part in verse 23 that tells us about who we are. God sees us not only as spirit, but as soul. He sees you as one who was made in the uniqueness of his design, and that's your soul. Sometimes soul is a hard word in the Bible because it describes more than one thing. Sometimes when the Bible is talking about your soul, it's talking about your mind. Sometimes when it's talking about your soul, it's talking about your personality, the, the thing that's uniquely you. Sometimes it's actually talking about your emotions. The soul is all of those. It's your mind, your emotions, and your personality. It's all the things that are uniquely you. You know, one of the things, that, if, you're, if you're looking for the hand of God, if you're looking for how God's at work in the world, one of the ways that you can recognize that is God loves uniqueness. There are no two of us on the planet that are identical. Identical twins are not identical. Uh, We're completely different. There are no two zebras that have the same stripes. Did you know that? A zebra's stripes are like your fingerprints. And speaking of uniqueness, your fingerprints are uniquely yours. Your DNA is uniquely you. That's why we can know if you were at the scene of the crime. We use your DNA for those kind of things. Satan's work is the opposite of God. God likes uniqueness. He gives us a diversity of spiritual gifts. What does Satan do? He, the scripture says, conforms us into the cookie cutter image of the world. By the way, that's called political correctness. So you can look like the world, walk like the world, wear what the world wears. You can be tattooed like the world. You can be just like the world. The world will think you're cool, but the world's all going to hell together. Satan loves that. And you get caught up in the false sense of security that I'm like the world. I'm like everybody else. And he tries to conform us. God transforms us. And he does that through the uniqueness of your soul, which is yours and yours alone. There's a third part of who we are, though. We're part spirit. Well, we're not part spirit. We're all spirit, and we're all soul, and we also have a body. And so God made us, and he sees us in the human frailty of our body. The body's a funny thing. The body sometimes is almost indestructible. I I got hit by a semi-truck one time, T-boned, and I walked away from it. 60 mile an hour down the road, I promise. God's hand was there, I walked away from it. There have been times when I barely stubbed my toe at the edge of the bed, and it hurt for months. indestructible sometimes and really frail. But when you think about the body and those, here, I'm just going to preach to these guys just for a second. The older you get, the more frail your body gets. Uh, The rest of you, will you tell the young people, amen? Remember guys when you used to jump, that was the loudest amen I've ever got. Remember guys when you just used to just like let the tailgate down on the truck and jump up in the back of the truck and then jump out. Remember that? And now, like the other day, I was like, I just laid down in the truck and I was searching for the ground. <laughs> for old guys now, have you seen the new trucks? They have, a, they have a stepladder and a rail. I am not doing that. <laughs> it all speaks to the frailty of the human body. The body wasn't made to live forever. The spirit, the soul, yeah, but that's why in heaven you get a new body. Now you can say amen again, huh? Yeah. So... You First of all, if you're going to embrace 
what God has for you, if you want to join God in what he has for you, you got to figure out how he works. He works spiritually, his Holy Spirit indwelling you. He makes your spirit alive. It's called, in the New Testament, the doctrine of regeneration. If any man be in Christ, all things are new. He creates you new. The spirit is alive again. And then, and then there's, there's your soul, and then your, there's your body. So if you say, well, if I say yes to joining God in what he has for me, well, what am I joining him in? So some of us are so afraid of this step, aren't we? I mean, I'm just going to, we're afraid to give God a blank check. It's like, if I tell God I'll do whatever he wants, he'll, he'll make me marry an ugly woman and move to outer Mongolia as a missionary. And some of us think that way. The Bible tells us what God wants for us. It's, it's not a mystery. We know right here what he wants is your complete sanctification. His will for your life, his will for your sanctification is that it's comprehensive. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body. This is the work that God wants to do in you. Now, um, beautiful benediction, but there's a big practical part of this. And so today, I'm going to see if you guys can help me just a little bit. It's just a little imagery that I think will make really, really good sense. Will you two guys help me? Will you be willing to help me? No? You know, one said yes and one said no. Okay, come and help me. I got two... I get two of these. Okay, you hold this one. You get to be body. Go up about go up about two steps, and you get to be soul, and you go up about two steps. Okay, okay. Here is here we go. Body and soul. Here we are. This is everybody on the planet. Everybody on the planet's body and soul. Remember, soul is mind. It's also emotions. It's also your personality. It's uniquely you. So this is really easy to illustrate, right? Everybody, raise your right hand. Everybody, slap down on your right knee. Okay, what, what happened? Your mind received instruction and it raised its right hand and slapped its right knee. Now, the interesting thing is some of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, I'm in a Baptist church. I'm not raising my hand. I'll be, the next thing I know, I'll just find out I gave something extra in the offering. So you demonstrated that you have a mind and you can make your own decisions. You chose. This is what happens with the soul. This is what happens with the mind, and we have a body. Now, the scripture says that without Christ, in our sin, there's a brokenness that exists for us. And part of what's broken is, and I'll, I'll show you this, we're going to put this up in a little bit, is that you don't have this going for you yet. No spirit that's been made alive in you. So this is all you got. And you're trying to do life with this, but this isn't working right. And it happens that it's really easy to see. So I want you to move up two steps. You stay where you are. And here's what happens. The body decides it wants to take charge of your life. Now, in the Bible, you'll find this frequently, but you'll find the word flesh, okay? Because the body, the flesh, has certain appetites. It wants what it wants. And so it wants what it wants, and it wants it now, and it it wants to feed its appetites. And whether the appetite is... Uh, food or comfort or, or alcohol or booze or sex where it shouldn't be or spending or toys or comfort or a bigger TV screen. The body wants what it wants. And everybody in this room has a friend whose body is in charge of their soul. 
And these are easy to recognize. In fact, in our modern vernacular, we call these addicts. And the addiction of the flesh, whatever it is, drugs, booze, whatever it is, the addiction of the flesh takes over because the body wants what the body wants. And at that stage, all the soul does is make excuses for the behavior of the body. And if you've got this friend who's struggling with some addiction, that's what they do with their brain. How many of you have a friend that goes, oh, they, they got an addiction, they go, I can quit anytime I want. In fact, I've proved it, I've quit a thousand times. But they can't because now they're consumed by this and this is the struggle of this. This ruins your life. We'll read it here in a little bit in Romans 8. But this will ruin your life. If, trade places, you go up two steps, you come down two steps, body. Soul up two and down. If you go, hey, well, I'm going to do this. This person usually then is a little stronger uh, because maybe they don't have so many addictions. But the problem with this is the mind without God's spirit is still depraved. And so what does this mind give itself to? Pride, greed, lust, I want what I want, and it just might, it might discipline its own body, but it's still a mind that is without Christ. So say, okay, so let's add, let's add our spirit here. Will you help me? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, Saul, I want you to go up on the stage, take one more step up. Mr. Spirit, you're right here. You come on the same, go up two steps, same, same place as body. Okay, now soul, come to the middle and hold your, hold your up a little bit higher. Okay, when people give their life to Christ, everything changes for them. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. What happened? What became new for you? You have a spirit in your life now. You're made alive. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with you that you are a child of God. And it changes your life incredibly. But what most Christians do is they keep the spirit here and they know the body shouldn't be in charge. So it's down here. And Mr. Soul, he's in charge of everything. He is up here on top and the mind is working. Now the mind reads the Bible and he knows, man, you know what? I got to give up the alcohol. I really need to give up the tobacco. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm going, it's got all these things that it begins to do. And so it believes the mind, the soul, it believes the spirit on so many areas and it chooses not to do those. But the same mind also doesn't believe everything in the Bible. That tithing part, I don't know. I think somebody made that up. Sharing your faith, oh, that makes, really makes me nervous. I'm not prepared to do that. And so we have the things that we don't do. So the mind is actually in charge, not the spirit. The mind decides, you know what, these things really do wreck your life. I'm going to stop these things, but I'm not going to do it all. So that is a believer who's asking God to join him in how he sees that his life should look like. But God wants to do it different. Okay, Mr. Spirit, up to the platform, all the way to the top. Mr. Soul, come down about two steps right here. Yep, okay. And then right here. So here, go ahead and come off to the side like this so we can have you. Everybody can kind of see all three right there. This is what God wants you to look like. Remember your friends without Christ who are struggling with the, the human flesh? They're exactly opposite of this. I won't ask the guys to move. But the body's on top, then the soul, then the spirit. And the spirit's dead without Christ. But God wants you to look like this. His Holy Spirit speaks to you through God's word. It tells you, this is what I want you to do. When you embrace that, when you say yes to that, it's a radical change because nobody else lives that way. Everybody else, at least, they say, well, don't disengage your mind. Well, it doesn't disengage your mind. You know what the spirit does? The spirit regenerates your mind. 
The Spirit transforms your mind, so it quits thinking like the world, so that your, Romans 12, 1 and 2, your body can be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. This is what God wants you to look like. When you say yes to this, when you start living, Spirit is your priority. The mind, the soul, your personality is surrendered to the Spirit. The body is disciplined and surrendered to the mind. Everything changes for you. It just starts falling into place. Will you give my three guys a big hand? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Well done. You guys have a future ahead of you, maybe Wheel of Fortune or something like that. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Now, I don't have time to preach this, and I really don't even have time to comment on it. But in effect, I already have. So now we're just going to read it. And I think it's going to jump off the pages at you. In fact, there are so many parts of your New Testament that now you're going to go like, oh, that's it. That's the spirit. That's the mind. That's the soul. That's the body. There it is. Here's how Romans 8 goes. We're going to start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh. It's a Bible word for your body. That means just, it means you give into the appetites of your body. That's what it's talking about when it talks about flesh. Those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. So uh, if you start feeding the, uh, the, the, the lusts and desires of your body, you'll spend all your time in your mind thinking about how to feed those appetites. Moms, any of you have a son, you feed him breakfast, and before he gets up from the table, he says, when is lunch? The mind's always thinking about what they want. But he goes on and he says, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is what transforms your mind. Are you, are you really in prayer all day long? Are you really thinking about how you can share your faith with, with the one that you're next to or talking to, wherever you are? Are you really thinking about what does God have for me today? If, if your mind is set on things of the Spirit, you do. Verse 6, for to set your mind on the flesh is death. Boy, that, that's not a, that, can you understand that? That's, that's, not, that's easy to understand, right? If the body's in charge and your mind is making excuses for your body, it's death. It's not just talking about like in the grave death. It's talking about spiritual death separated from God forever and ever. But, the, but to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. Verse 7, for the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it doesn't submit to God. In fact, it can't because it's all upside down. So some of you in this room, you're believers. You've given your life to Christ. You've asked for the forgiveness of sins, but you, you got all of this upside down and backwards. Either the, either the body's in charge of, of what it wants and its appetites, or the mind is in charge, but you're functioning outside the purpose and design of God. And so God wants your sanctification and you're not working with him. You're actually working against him. That's what he means by the, that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God. Those verse eight who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. So you're not pleasing God. You're working against him. Skip to verse 12. So then brothers, we're debtors, but we're not debtors to the body to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. By the way, he doesn't just say that once or twice. He says it several times through this passage. He wants you to get it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, it says in verse 13. But if you live 
in the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What does that mean? It means you subjugate the body under the spirit. Well, actually under the mind, the soul, which is under the spirit. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery again to fall back to fear. What happens when your mind is in charge, but your spirit isn't? Then you struggle. What, what does the mind struggle with? Fear, worry, doubt, guilt, bitterness, anger. I can keep going. Everybody's got friends who are consumed with that. They're even maybe going to counseling or therapy for that. What do they got to do? They got to subject that to the Holy Spirit of God. What happens when you do that? Let me start in verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear or any of those other emotions. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons. You cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. If you're a child, then you're an heir. And if you're an heir of God, your fellow heirs with Christ. That's all the time I have to read. Did you see how all of a sudden Romans 8 made really good sense to you? Because now you understood, oh, this is what God's doing in my life. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 then. What does God want? What is his will for your life? He wants your sanctification. Your sanctification is more important to him than your job, than the the vehicle you drive. He wants your sanctification. What does complete sanctification look like? Spirit, soul, body. If you've got that in order, if the body surrenders to the soul, the mind, and the mind is surrendered to the spirit, now, as God is working in your life, you are aligned with him, and you're going to realize the blessing of God, and the joy of God, and the power of God. And if you're out of alignment, it's like anything else. You ever have a car that was out of alignment, and it was okay as long as you were driving 20? And then when you got up, like, some of you, your Christian life looks like... That'll look great when they do that on the video, don't you think? You're out of alignment. So align yourself with God. God is asking you to come and join him in this most incredible spiritual journey. Now, there's one last thing I need to talk about. You're, you're sitting here thinking, okay, I want to say yes to that. I want to say yes to this, to this journey. I want to align myself with the sanctification of God, but... What happens when we realize we don't have enough faith? We don't have the strength of faith that we need for the journey. God already answers that in verse 24. I'm, I'm back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Three things in one short sentence. He says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So here we are uh, aligning ourselves with God. God reminds us, remember at the first part of 23, He's the one who does the sanctification. I don't sanctify me. I don't have the ability. That means to cleanse me or make me holy or set me apart. That's what sanctify means. I can't do that to me. God does the work. So this is what he reminds me. He says, I'm the one who called you. That's how verse 24 starts. I'm the one who called you. None of us of our own said, I'm going to do a study of Islam and Buddhism and Christianity. And then, yeah, I think Christianity's right. And we show up and say, God, I picked you. Aren't you glad to have me on your team? It doesn't work that way. God's been wooing us, calling us. In fact, sometimes the word has a romantic intonation. He, he's courting us. And if you think back about your testimony, this morning we're talking about testimonies, your life before Christ. Now that you've received Christ, you can look back and you go, oh, that was God. 
God was wooing me. God was calling me. And maybe it was first that, that person in high school and they, they said to you something about faith and you're like, ah, no, I want to no, do what these kids are doing. And then it was college. And somebody invited you to a Bible study or something. There was a guy you worked next to and you're like, oh, I got put next to a fanatic. But God was doing this work. And somebody invited you to a manual and you heard God's word and you were like, that sounds like truth. And God, what was God doing? He was calling. He was wooing. He was courting you. And so he reminds you, this, this doesn't start with you. It starts with me. The second thing in verse 24 is this. He says, I'm the one who was always faithful. You and I, not so much. You know, uh, one of the guys that I identify most with in the Bible is at the, he's at the base of the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He took the inner three disciples with him. He comes back down, and this guy brought his son to the disciples, really to Jesus, to be healed, and the disciples couldn't heal him. And so Jesus has two little sermons here. One's for the disciples who didn't have enough. He's, talked, he's going to talk to them later. But to this guy, he says, okay, I'll heal your son if you have faith. And this is what the guy says. This is the guy that I identify with in the Bible. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that like us? There's some days our faith is strong. And other days, not so much. So what does God say? Is your sanctification dependent on your faith or God's faithfulness? He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Does he say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, unless you do this really bad sin right here? No, he doesn't say that. In fact, in Revelation, what I've got in parentheses there, Jesus says his name is faithful and true. There's a third thing in verse 24. First, he says, I'm the one who calls you. Secondly, he says, I'm faithful, I will never let you down. And thirdly, he says, I'm the one who does the work. I will surely, most assuredly, he's the one who does the work. You don't sanctify you, God does. All you got to do is align yourself up with God. All you got to do is say yes to God. All you got to do is embrace God. And if you'll do that, if you'll submit the body to the soul and the mind and the soul to the spirit, and you'll trust the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, your life will radically change. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ. Your spirit hasn't even been made alive yet. If you were to die, you would exist eternally separated from God. And this morning, I want you to know you can receive Christ. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died. This morning, say yes to Jesus. This morning, turn your life to him. But I was really speaking to Christians this morning. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you're a believer, but you kind of got your brain up on top? You know, you kind of decide when the Bible sounds good and logical, and you kind of decide, oh, those things are fanatical. I'm not going to do those things. And so you have put yourself above God. Maybe you're here this morning, and even though you're a believer, you've got an addiction. There's a place in your life where your flesh, your body calls the shots. And it says, this is what I want, and you're going to feed me this. And you need to be released from that. So this morning, just embrace God's plan, his design for you. Let his spirit instruct your mind, transform your mind, renew your mind, and present your body a living sacrifice. And the change will be so dramatic and so radical if you'll do that, 
that you'll know more of the blessing and the power of God that you've ever known until this moment. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but how many of you, by just raising your hand, you would just say, Paul, that's what I want for my life. Pray for me. And you just lift your hand up all over the room, all over the room. God bless you. Father, you've seen these hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. I pray that you would just work in each heart, each life, as we submit our flesh to our souls and our souls to your spirit, and that your spirit would work through us, that you would reaffirm your word in such an incredible way that that we would have testimonies this very week of what you've done in our lives as we submit to your desire to sanctify us. Father, do this in our lives through and through, for we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.